Now it's time for the Southern Cross. Welcome back to our Southern Cross segment. Here with us in studio today is Pacific Media Watch contributing editor Sri Krishnamurti. Welcome. Thank you. Kia ora. Kia ora. So first let's talk about the anti-terror law in the Philippines. So they've recently introduced this new anti-terror law. It's getting lots of criticism and some people are drawing comparisons to what's happening in Hong Kong. Why, why are people making these comparisons? The, the act in Hong Kong is the uh, Hong Kong Security Act of 2020 mm -hmm. that, uh, that has drawn up a lot of protests from, uh, from Hong Kong in particular because they want it, it, because China wants to take over Hong Kong and China wants to impose its um, um, totalitarianism uh, approach onto mm -hmm. Hong Kong. Yeah. And so of, of the people in the Philippines who are protesting or against this new anti-terror law, um, uh, the Catholic Bishops' Conference sent out uh, a letter saying that they were opposed to this in the Philippines. What, in, does the, the Catholic Bishops' Conference have a lot of influence over yes, there? Yes, it does. I mean, the Philippines is basically a Catholic country, right. and therefore whatever they say goes. Mm. Um, that, that is until Rodrigo Duterte became president, and he doesn't seem to have to listen to anyone. Um, right. He is totally practicing the, um, dictatorship. Okay, because I think a lot of in the Philippines, the, the new law, it's sort of people are worried because part of it allows people to be jailed without charge for up to 24 days. That is under the act of COVID-19. It is also authoritarianism right throughout the Pacific, mm -hmm. and it seems to be creeping in. And that, that is, um, as the bishop says, the bishop bow, Mm -hmm. While the semblance of democracy is still in place uh, and our democratic, democratic institutions seem to continue to function, we're already like a proverbial frog swimming in a pot of slowly boiling water. Yeah. So with with the bishop <coughs> sending out this letter that he doesn't think this is okay, do you think that's going to change much in the Philippines? It depends on what exactly President Rodrigo Duterte wants to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it is all up to him. Right. Um, as, as you know, the government is, is is the institution in into itself and unto itself, mm -hmm. and they, they don't have to listen to anyone. But given that most of the Philippines are Catholics, the Catholic, the Catholic Church does hold a certain amount of sway. Okay, so let's move now to Fiji's economic announcements. So on <laughs> Friday night, Fiji announced a three point seven billion dollar budget to help them get through an economic crisis. Um, but how does this differ from the? other $2 billion direct government stimulus package. The direct government stimulus package is something that is talked about, mm -hmm. but it depends on how much the government is willing to spend. Right. Most of it is borrowed dollars, mostly from China, mm. and um, that's, where they, uh, that's where they have an uh, $8.3 billion deficit, um, mm -hmm. in addition to the $2 billion deficit that is already announced in the, in the budget. Right. The Minister of Everything, as he's known, Ayasad Kayim. So um, a lot of Fiji's economic recovery relies on tourism. What, what will tourism look like in Fiji in a post-COVID environment? Are, are they hoping for a bubble? They are hoping for a bubble with Australia and New Zealand, mm -hmm. but that doesn't seem to be likely given that um, in, for the first time in 80 days they have had three cases of COVID-19. Right. And, um, and also the post-COVID they're looking at a, at a stimulus package that includes the um, post 
the ecotourism eco and the sustainable environment, that is the only best way that they can get through it. Yeah. So how quickly would a tourism bubble have to be arranged in order to help the Fijian economy? As soon as possible. Right. I mean, the Fantasia Lockington, who is the um, head of the hotel and tourism um, CEO, she told me that um, the earlier the better um, because mm. already 115,000 Fijians are out of a job. And given that 27,000 um, government workers have taken a pay cut, it is, it is really hitting Fiji hard. Yeah. And that's why they that's why they need the bubble. But the bubble uh, the, the bubble isn't the, isn't the only problem. The problem is they need pe they need bums on seats on airplanes, and they need um, beds to be occupied by the by the people. Mm. And th that is a problem. I mean, it's it's a, it's all very well and good to say that they that they will have a bulla bubble, um, and everybody's looking to Fiji. But whether whether they can look after them all and whether they ca they have the um safety measures in place mm. that depends on, uh, that depends on the Fijian government i mean as it as it stands the, the uh, new zealand is reluctant to uh, have a bubble with fiji because they, they can't even produce the figures of how much uh, how much covid-19 there is in fiji right is is was fiji quite hard hit by the virus yes i mean it wasn't very badly hit i mean they, they had 16 cases up until about 80 days ago and right. then three people returning from india were in put in um covid-19 mm -hmm. and they've all gone gone into isolation so they have quite strict quarantine measures supposedly right i mean according to the government that, but but there's no official figures sh showing that, okay. and that is and that is what is concerning um, Jacinda Ardern. Mm. So let's move now to some announcements regarding Bauer Media, um, which was originally I think cancelled because of COVID nineteen, and now it's reopening. Um, what what does the reopening of their publications like Women's Weekly and The Listener? Um, how does that relate to the Pacific media environment? It's, it does because the, I mean, e even if you go into the supermarkets back and save and um, countdown, mm. um, you'll see all the people browsing, uh, Pacific people generally in browsing the browsing the um, magazine section mm -hmm. and looking for these magazines where they can pick up and read stuff that they do, don't normally get on mm. the on their radios or they don't normally get on the TV sets. And, um, and that, that is a real big concern for, um, it, it is also a concern for New Zealand, given that um, with this with his new um, editorial um, being bought, being being brought out by capital, capital, um, Mercury Capital, mm -hmm. um, forty new jobs are going to be added to New Zealand listings. Mm -hmm. And will, will that job, will those jobs opportunities, will they have a follow-on effect in the Pacific? Well, I mean, they should, they should, because I mean, the advertising sales, um, as well as distribution in the Pacific. Um, and it goes out to all the supermarkets in Fiji. Mm. And just say these these publications weren't reopened. What what effect would that have on the Pacific media? It, it would it really diminish the media mm. to the point that you, you, the only thing that you're getting is what the government stations and government wants you to listen to. Right. And that is um that is not the independence of the media. Yeah. And it's certainly not in the Pacific media. So let's move lastly on to the Solomon Islands tribute to a journalist, Ofani Edame. So the Transparency Solomon Island recently um, publicly thanked him for his contribution to journalism over there. H who is he? He is. He was the editor of the Solomon Star. Okay. And he was a very good editor of the Solomon Star. I mean, he was very fair and very, um, I suppose, uh, critical of the government, and that's why they got, got rid of him. 
I mean, he also right. worked in the paper that um, he started up. Um, he started working with uh, jo um, John, Johnny Lamani, who was um, the um, who was the author, inspirer behind the Solomon Star, um, and, so and, and that. That also being, uh, be, um, it, it runs on from the last two we, we talked about biomedia. Um, that is authoritarianism creep into the Pacific. Yeah. So why, when did they get rid of him? They got rid of him under the COVID-19 regulations. Right. And so who are Transparency Solomon Island? And why, why did they thank him? Transparency Solomon Islands is an independent body that looks after the Solomons and makes sure that um, so to, to an extent that they, that they keep tabs on the um, Solomon's government and the keep t uh, tabs right. on the Solomon's media. Is that a, a big problem in the Solomon Islands, government intervention and in, in free media? It, it is creeping right throughout the Pacific. It oh, is in yeah. Papua New Guinea, it is in Fiji, it is in Vanuatu, it is all over the Pacific. And even um, even in New Zealand, as, as you can see, with, without the bio media um, operations, we'd be only be stuck with um, Radio New Zealand and um, TVNZ. Mm. Are there many uh, free publications in the Solomon Islands at the moment? Not at the moment. Okay. No, no, I mean, it, with without him at the helm, they seem to um, they seem to take a stance that they, that they can, that they can control the media. The government can control the media, right. and and that is that has been happening slowly over the last few months, um, as we have seen with Vanuatu, as we have seen with uh, Papua New Guinea, as and as the stories we have um, reported on, um, that that's um. It's easy to say it's a terrible thing, but but the authoritarian creep right throughout the Pacific mm -hmm. is is not a good thing, and it's it sh shouldn't be tolerated. Even in Australia, uh, even Australia is um, clamping uh, clamping down in the media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we have time for today, Shree. But thank you so much for coming in. I'm really excited to be having this segment now with you and interviewing you. So, be great. You're welcome. Great. All right. Um, let's go on. That to the next was thing. the Southern Cross.